You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with our text this morning, we have two readings from the Word of God. I would invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis 28, beginning at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set there. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. When Jacob awoke awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so I will return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And we'll turn further to the New Testament, to John chapter 1, the verses 35 through 42. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who saw who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, which, when translated, is Peter. Our text this morning is John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite 
in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in our text this morning we meet someone who is and who has often been described as a skeptic, someone who needs to see the evidence before they believe. Now, you never really know how it would go, but my guess would be that a skeptic coming to this passage this morning and reading it and hearing Nathaniel described as a skeptic might be, well, skeptical about that claim. It might be unimpressed. Because if you look at this passage, then you wonder how much of a skeptic really is Nathaniel. And how much of a skeptic really lives in this passage. First of all, Philip becomes a disciple without going through any analysis of of reason or examination. Jesus says, follow me, and he's following. And then there's, of course, Nathaniel, the actual skeptic. Upon first hearing about Jesus, he is skeptical, and he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? But no sooner does Jesus reveal a little bit of supernatural ability the ability to see Nathanael, even though he wasn't by him, to see him sitting under the fig tree, then Nathanael abandons all of his skepticism and he wholeheartedly embraces Jesus Christ. You are the Son of God, the King of Israel. I imagine a skeptic might look at that and say, really? Is that the best that they can do? Many have shown the ability to to see strange things. There are many unexplainable things in this world. People who seem to see the unseeable or know the unknowable. We're going to need a little more evidence than this. And so on. That might be their reaction. But yet, when we look at this passage, we realize that this text does reveal much about how the message of Jesus the Messiah ought to be brought to a skeptical world, to to skeptical people, to the unbeliever, or those who do not know the power of God or do not know Jesus, the Messiah. God's Word this morning impresses on us the importance of the testimony of the Scriptures, the testimony of believers, and the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And most of all, what our text does this morning is invites us to come and see Jesus. Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to a skeptic, to a skeptical Nathaniel. That's our theme. Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to someone who at first questions it. That's our theme We could change that theme a little bit. We could say, come and see, because that is the message. Come and see the Messiah. Come and see the Word of God. 
We'll see first that Philip calls Nathaniel to the Messiah. He says, come and see him. And then the Messiah reveals himself to Nathaniel in this mysterious way. And finally, the Messiah promises that Nathaniel will see even more than what he has already seen. He will see even more of God's light and glory through himself. Come and see the Messiah, the Word of God. First, that's the invitation of Philip to Nathaniel. As the the verses before our text show this morning, Jesus is calling disciples to himself. It's the beginning of the Gospel of John, and he's gathering his disciples. As we come to verse 43, he's already called Andrew and Peter. But the calling of, of Philip is quite remarkable. It's not like the calling of Andrew and Peter, nor is it like Nathaniel. All we read is that Jesus says to Philip, follow me, and Philip obeys. Of course, you have to realize that Philip was raised on the Scriptures. He was raised on the Old Testament Scriptures that spoke of the coming Messiah. He was living in in hope and anticipation and expectation of His coming. But still, this is quite striking. And we don't know really if more dialogue did happen between Jesus and Philip or between Philip and Andrew and Peter because he was from the same town as them. But what matters is that Jesus answers the call that he gives to all his disciples, follow me. And Philip understood what that meant. He heard the authoritative voice of the Word of God. The God who when he says, follow me, you follow. And he was powerless to resist, although he was powerful to respond. The call met his heart like a plug in a socket, and a disciple was born. Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah, and Philip believes. And not without significance, immediately upon believing in Jesus the Messiah, what Philip does is go and testify to his friend about the Messiah. He sees the Messiah, and so he testifies about him. That is the response. And that's in accordance with the way outlined at the very beginning of the book of John. That although many do not believe in Jesus, some do. Some of these these ones come through supernatural means. Through the invisible working of God in their heart, their children born not of a human decision nor nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Born through the working of the Holy Spirit. And yet at the same time, a, a complementary, though slightly jarring point is also made that these come to Jesus through the testimony of others, through the testimony of John the Baptist, through the testimony of other disciples. The disciples are called to bear witness to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit works through that testimony. The Holy Spirit is the the only one who is powerful enough to bring light to, to the dark hearts of men. But yet He calls us as disciples to bear testimony, to bear witness to that light, to mankind. Only the Word can speak life to a dead heart. 
Only the Word of God can cause a rebellious heart to follow Jesus. The testimony about Jesus, brothers and sisters, has been entrusted to us, to His disciples, to His church. We must boldly go. Invite others to come and to see Jesus. All the while trusting that God Himself will work in their heart because it is the work of God to bring His children to Himself. Of course, oftentimes, as as happens here, the initial reaction to Jesus can be skepticism. Especially in our day, but not exclusively in our day. It also happened in the day of Philip. He goes to his friend Nathaniel and he tells him about Jesus. But in how he tells him about Jesus, Philip reveals that Jesus isn't just the, the latest, greatest rabbi to come along, as someone who's worthy of listening to for a couple of years. No, here is the one who has come in fulfillment to the Old Testament, to the, the law and the prophets. Here is the Messiah of God. The Messiah, the the Anointed One of God, the Anointed One that we sang of in Psalm 2, the King of Israel, the, the coming King prophesied, the Son of David, the One who would be King and would rule over God's people and would bring people from the nations to God. The One who would be the Prophet of God, who would speak the Word of God with authority. The Messiah was the Priest of God who would intercede for God's people to the throne of the Father. That was the one spoken of in the Old Testament, the Messiah, the Anointed of God. Philip says, come and see the one spoken of, the Messiah. Well, Nathaniel is skeptical. Skepticism is dripping out of his answer in verse 46. Uh, Jesus from Nazareth? Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel is echoing the sentiments of of the rest of Israel that finds Nazareth this strange place. It's part of Israel. Lots of Jews there. But yet it's also part of the Gentile world. Lots of Gentiles there. It's a a cosmopolitan little village. It's it's one that doesn't fit in the world of Israel. It doesn't fit in the world of, of the Gentiles either. It just doesn't belong. Can anything good come from there? And Nathaniel might also be giving witness to a little bit of small town rivalry. He's from the little town of Bethsaida in Galilee. Jesus from the little town of Nazareth in Galilee. And so he thinks his little town is better than Jesus' little town. And can anything good actually come from that place? Well, whatever he ultimately means... Nathaniel certainly helps to add to that stark contrast that's spoken of already at the beginning of the book of John about the Word of God made flesh. Made flesh. Here, the prophesied Messiah, the one spoken of in the Old Testament, and it comes from Nazareth. That backwards town. That insignificant town of Nazareth. Nathaniel gives voice to what would have been the response of many Jews in those days, and many Gentiles for that matter, can anything good come from Nazareth? How does Philip respond? His response is 
is short, but it's it's beautiful. It's it's brilliant. It's simple and it's pointed. Nathaniel can drip all the skepticism he wants. Philip simply says to him, "Come and see. Come and see for yourself." I commend to you Philip's approach. The Word of God commends Philip's approach to us. When you invite your friend or your neighbor or your family member to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can expect some skepticism. Jesus? Is he even a historical figure? That's the kind of question people have these days. Why would you want to worship a first century Jewish man, a a revolutionary of of sorts? Has anything good come from Jesus? Has anything good come from Christianity? These are the sorts of questions you can expect if you get any response at all. Much like Nazareth, Jesus is much maligned in our day. And so pay attention to Philip's approach here. Invite them to come and see Jesus. Invite them to investigate Jesus for themselves. He is the Word. The Bible testifies about Him. The Gospels clearly show who He is and what He does. They do it with clarity, with simplicity, with weight, with historical accuracy. And so with full confidence, the confidence that this is the Word of God, you can say to your friend, come and see Jesus. Examine Him for yourself. Come to Him and see who He is. So Philip invites Nathaniel. And as we go further, we see that the Messiah reveals himself to Nathaniel. Nathaniel listens. He, he listens to Philip and he does come and see Jesus. No reason is given and we don't need to know why, but he does. And as he approaches, Jesus pays this compliment to Nathaniel. He says, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Let's take that phrase apart for a little bit because there's a lot going on there, especially under the surface. On the surface, what Jesus is saying is there's nothing duplicitous about Nathaniel. He's not a hypocrite. If he says that he's surprised that something good can come from Nazareth, it's because he actually thinks that nothing good can come from Nazareth. He, he's a what-you-see-is-what-you-get kind of guy. That's Nathaniel. By the way, Nathaniel's not mentioned in the other Gospels. Probably Nathaniel is Bartholomew. Bartholomew, the name means son of Tholomew. That would have been his last name. His first name then would have been Nathaniel, just so we know who Nathaniel is. And this is who he is, really. He's a, he's a, there's nothing false in him. He's not duplicitous. He's not hypocritical like the Pharisees, who were like whitewashed tombs, who were all corruption on the inside but outward piety, not Nathaniel. It's much better to be honest, true, and transparent. Jesus pays him a compliment. Here is a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. But below the surface, Jesus is saying even more about Nathaniel. The word that he uses to describe Nathaniel, that word not false, is the word that's used to describe Jacob in several occasions in the book of Genesis. Jacob was that deceitful character, the guy who steals the birthright from his brother, who tricks his father into giving him a blessing. Jacob was sly, deceitful, and duplicitous. 
He was false in the way that, in the word that's given here in our text. His outward actions and his inward motives were always different. He couldn't be trusted. But after he sees the vision of the Lord at Bethel, and after he wrestles with the Lord at Padanaram, then he changes. And he become, his motivations become true inside and they reflect his outward character. He becomes true and straightforward and honest. So Nathaniel comes to Jesus. What Jesus' words would have sounded like to him are something like, here is a true son of Israel. That was what Jacob's name was changed to after he wrestled with the angel of God. Here is a true son of Israel, not a duplicitous son of Jacob. And so Nathaniel responds, how do you know me? Evidently, this characteristic characterization is true. How do you know me? And Nathaniel wonders if somehow Jesus has been forewarned. But Jesus answered, well, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then from this statement comes this confession, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. A little while ago in a magazine, current news magazine, I read a piece about a clairvoyant, as someone who could see things that other people can't see, supposedly. The writer of this piece was taken in. Apparently, this clairvoyant had, had described to her things that had happened in her past very accurately, intimate details of her life. So I ask you, if a clairvoyant... If someone were to show some special knowledge to you, would you be ready to, to wholesale embrace them as if they have come directly from God? Because on the surface, that seems like what happens here with Philip. I hope that would not be your reaction. In fact, that's not the reaction of Nathaniel here. The reality is that Jesus is not a mere clairvoyant. Jesus is the Messiah of God. That's the sum total of Nathaniel's confession. He's saying, you are the Messiah. The Son of God certainly speaks of, of Jesus' relationship to the Father. But in the way Nathaniel's speaking of it here, he probably means more in reference to Psalm 2, about the Son of God who will who is the King of Israel. The King there is spoken of as the Son of God. It's the same in 2 Samuel 7. The, the King, the Son of David, is the Son of God. And so, that makes sense that he says, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. You're the great King who was prophesied in the Old Testament. You're the one who was foretold who we've been waiting for. The one who discounted the product of Nazareth as unacceptable, now confesses Jesus in the highest terms. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And so Nathaniel wasn't merely impressed with Jesus' deeper knowledge, his understanding of, of things that he can't see. No, Nathaniel had the testimony, the testimony of Moses and the prophets. Being weaned on the word, Nathaniel was like Philip and many other Israelites who were living in expectation of God's Messiah. And second, Nathaniel had the testimony of Philip, another disciple. Philip himself believed the scriptures that spoke about Jesus. 
and upon being called by Him, recognizes that this was the true hope of Israel. And third, Nathaniel had the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And that is crucially important. The book of John especially stresses the oneness of God in salvation, that it is God who works salvation, who works in His children. And He does so through the revelation of His Son. And so Nathaniel's words function on two levels. They're the words of a skeptic who has been made to examine the reality of Jesus. But they're also the words of a man who has now been touched by, by the, the Word of God who has been touched by the Holy Spirit. And so mysteriously and miraculously, he comes to confess Jesus by the power of God. And so when Nathaniel comes to Jesus, he believes. But he's not duped by a man with strange powers. No, his faith is grounded in the reality of the person standing before him and the testimony concerning him. And that is how the Messiah, the King of Israel, continues to make Himself known today. He does does so through the testimony of Scriptures. The same words that Philip and Nathaniel knew continue to live and to breathe the message of the Messiah, the hope of the Messiah. You read them and they clearly testify about the Son of God. You sing and you read and you hear Psalm 2, the hope of the King. Psalm 16, 22, 110, to name a few. You read the promise given to Judah of a coming King in Genesis 49, verse 9. You read of the prophet that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 18. You read about the son of David prophesied in 2 Samuel 7. You read about the Redeemer that Job confesses in chapter 19 of Job. The suffering servant of Isaiah 53. The Son of Man in Daniel 7, etc., etc., etc. The whole Scripture, the whole Old Testament testifies to Jesus. Testifies to the coming Messiah. It shows Him who came in fulfillment of all the promises of God contained therein. The Old Testament testifies to Jesus His disciples also testify to Jesus. Those who know the Lord Himself, those who see Him as Messiah, are called to call others to Him. That's our calling as disciples, to testify to Jesus as the Messiah. And God uses that testimony, uses us to testify to the reality and the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. And of course, he also uses the testimony of the Holy Spirit. He who works mysteriously in the hearts of men and women. He who works powerfully. He who uses that testimony about Jesus Christ to transform a life. To bring life where there is death. To bring light where there is darkness. To bring hope where there is none. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who uses our testimony. And so it is that Jesus reveals Himself to Nathanael. But He also promises Nathanael that He's going to see much more than this. Jesus tells Nathanael, you're rightfully impressed because of what I've done, because of the testimony concerning Me from the Old Testament Scriptures, from the disciples, 
from what you've seen me do, but you better hang on to your hat, Nathaniel, because you're going to see much more than this. Nathaniel thinks that this little display of Jesus' knowledge is confirmation that He's the Messiah. Well, then he really hasn't seen anything yet. He is going to see far greater things. He's going to see this man change water into wine. He's going to see him feed 5,000 on a few pieces of, uh, a few fish and loaves of bread. He's going to see this man walking on water, revealing God's will, having authority over death as he raises Lazarus. Lazarus. He's going to see this man endure with patient endurance wrongful persecution. He's going to see this man die an atoning death. He's going to see a dramatic resurrection from the dead until Jesus Himself ascends into heaven before His very eyes. The way that Jesus describes all this is He says, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Clearly, that's pointing back to Genesis chapter 28 and the vision of Jacob's ladder that we read. Just like that ladder with the angels going up and down was for Jacob a confirmation of the reality of God's presence and faithfulness to him, so Jesus' life and work would be a confirmation of the reality of God's presence and faithfulness to his people. The Messiah would reveal the saving grace of God through his life through His actions, and in doing so, He would bring God's children near to Him. The true light that gives light to every man was in the world. And He would show Himself. He would display His power. And so Jesus' point is twofold to Nathaniel. He's saying, I am who you think I am. You say that I'm the Messiah, I am. But you have no idea what you're, what to expect. The things that I will do to reveal the majesty, power, and faithfulness of God are going to be far more dramatic than this. That's the first point. The second point to Nathaniel is this. Stick with me. That's what Jesus says. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Watch Him. Watch what He most certainly will do. To show the power of God. And that's the message to us as well. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And expect incredible things from Him. Listen to the testimony of Scriptures. Listen to the testimony of the disciples. And be amazed at what Jesus Christ has done as revealed to us in His Word. About the great things that show the power and salvation of God. Jacob arose from his dream... And he named the place where he stayed Bethel, the house of God. What Jesus tells Nathaniel, and so tells us, I am the house of God. Come to me, and you will see him. Be drawn to him, grow in him, and experience him. Come to Jesus. What's the application? Come to the Word. Grow in the Word of God. We've read this book. 
Hopefully we read it constantly. You have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. That's what Jesus is telling him. Of course, Nathaniel hasn't seen the things revealed to us. But he's telling him the things that will be revealed are going to be amazing. They're going to be, as the kids say these days, epic. The rest of the Gospel unfolds for us the wonders of Jesus Christ. It displays His glory on every page. The Word became flesh, showed the glory of God, and that flesh became Word so that we could have it. The testimony about Jesus Christ. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, how incredibly blessed we are to have the Word of God? We have that light for revelation and we have access to it whenever and wherever we want. In every situation, we have the display of God's glory and power and faithfulness right here for us. It reveals Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, with the mysterious operation of the Holy Spirit, it mediates the power and the glory of God for our eternal life. For our eternal life with God. And it's right here. Let's take a step back for a moment and see this as it unfolds in the book of John. The first words of the book of John we read, the Word. The Word was God, is God, and the Word was with God. At the end of the book, we read, these things were written that you might believe and that by believing you might have life in His name. And so, yes, listen to the testimony of the Law and the Prophets. Hear the testimony of the disciples but where those are to bring you are to the person of Jesus Christ, to the work of the Messiah, and to the glory of God displayed through them. For witnessing the power of the Word and the glory of God for yourself. So come to the Word. Come to the Word. You have doubts? Come to the Word. Are you struggling? Come to the Word. Do you not see Jesus? Come to the Word. Come and see Jesus Christ displayed and believe in Him. Amen. Let's come to the Father in prayer. Our Father in heaven, our gracious God, we thank you for your grace displayed in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your grace displayed on every page of your word. Work powerfully by your Holy Spirit. Build us up, enlighten our hearts, fill us with the hope of glory. Fill us with power. Fill us, O Lord, with all that we need to worship you to respond in praise, and to be a light to this world, to follow our Lord Jesus Christ.
In His name we pray. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.